Kremlin Conspiracy, Joel Rosenberg's latest political thriller, has become a best-selling book in its first week, securing the number six spot on Publishers Weekly hardcover fiction list, number 15 on the New York Times hardcover fiction list, number 23 on USA Today's uh, best-selling books list. The Kremlin Conspiracy is Mr. Rosenberg's 15th book to achieve New York Times bestseller status. Really? Wow. 15? Jeez. His novels and nonfiction books have sold nearly 5 million copies. Uh, this new book may be his most entertaining book so far, stamping him as a worthy successor to the late masters of geopolitical thrillers uh, Tom Clancy and Vince Flynn. I wonder if he's related to Errol. Mm. Beyond entertaining as the world discusses Russian President Vladimir Putin's possible order of a UK nerve agent attack and Russia's cyber attack on the United States of America... And, uh, and its power grid. The Kremlin conspiracy seems to be ripped from tomorrow's headlines, is a quote that's been, throwing ar- been thrown around. During a March 15th interview with uh, Mr. Rosenberg, the Blaze founder Glenn Beck said, This book, it's like he wrote it last night. I think he spent a little bit more time writing that. Mr. Rosenberg, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you, thank you Drew. I hope he didn't mean that it, it was so bad. <laughs> yeah. That uh, it felt like it was a, a rush job, like a high school student turning it in, you know, a paper, you know, one night before it's no, I don't think so. I, mean, uh, I, I hope he's okay. I hope he feels different. I know I have a friend of mine who just loves your work. Every time you come out with a book, she's always holding it up as one of her favorite things. Kathy Lee Gifford seems to like your stuff. Well, that's one of the fun things is, is the range of people that have gotten into these political thrillers that I'm writing. I mean, you know, Drew, when you write a political thriller, you just hope that your mother can find it at a bookstore within 100 miles of her house. That's sort of your actual objective. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, everyone from Glenn Beck to Vice President Pence to the King of Jordan to Kathy and Gifford, these, these two people do not all fit in the same category, uh, and yet it's sort of... The novel seemed to appeal to a very range of people, both uh, ideologically and just stylistically and geographically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, um, okay, so I, I guess right off the block, or out, out of the block, off the bat, I don't know, whatever phrase you want to use here. Off uh, the top? That's it, that's it, that's the one right off the top. Um, your family, Orthodox Jews, some, I'm sure along the way, Joel, have said, well, you know, he's got a bias. You know, it's got a personal uh, agenda happening in all this stuff. Uh, how do you push back against that? Well, all right. So uh, I say in the acknowledgments of this book um, that there's part of a personal story here is that yeah, I've written about um, in, in the Kremlin conspiracy about evil rising in Moscow, in the Kremlin, uh, evil that is spreading across the face of Russia's 11 time zones. And, yeah, that part of that comes from the fact that my father's side of the family, not my mom's side, my mom's side is Gentile, uh, came before the Revolutionary War to the United States from mm-hmm. England. Mm-hmm. But my dad's side were Orthodox Jews who had to escape out of Russia in 1906 when Tsar Nicholas II was fomenting horrible, horrible anti-Semitic attacks that led to the murder of 60,000 Jewish people uh, the rape and beating and, and uh, torture of many, many tens of thousands more Jews. Many Jews fled, but of course many Jews got trapped still inside Russia, and then the Bolshevik Revolution in 1917 
the Tsar was assassinated, but of course the communists hated Jews also. So uh, we were fortunate. We got out, and having gotten out of Russia, uh, we didn't settle in Poland or Germany or Austria, as many Jews of fleeing Russia did. We got to the United States, and like any good Jewish family, set up shop in Brooklyn, nice. <laughs> where my, my father and his brother were born and raised. So I was born and raised in the States with the, the political and economic and religious freedom that my you know, grandparents and great-grandparents never had in Russia. Now, that doesn't mean I'm against Russia. I've been to Russia numerous times. I, I love the Russian people. I pray for the nation of Russia as a Jewish evangelical, a Jew who believes in Jesus. But I... But I also see evil rising there, and I think, you know, when you look at Vladimir Putin, uh, you see, it's hard not to see, uh, apparently unless you're the President of the United States, it's hard not to see um, real, a real problem there uh, that you need to speak out against. And so it's one of the reasons I wrote The Kremlin Conspiracy. It's fiction, but, uh, you know, as you said, it's sort of written to feel like, hey, this could happen mm-hmm. if Western leaders uh, misunderstand the nature and, uh, and threat of the evil that Putin uh, poses to us. Well, let me, I, I can only imagine in all these interviews that you've done, uh, you know, you, you people are confusing, you know, reality with fiction, and, and you probably spend most of your time talking about, you know, conspiracy theories or government issues, political stuff, uh, geopolitical things, and then all of a sudden people are thinking, oh, that's what your book is really about. But it is, but it's not. It is a fiction book. So let's just clear that up right away. As a matter of fact, just to set the tone, I want to read a little a little blurb about your book, if you don't mind, Joel Rosenberg. Sure. <laughs> sure. I'm going to use, use my best radio voice. Tim, make sure I... We should get some, like, uh, Effect? the Russian uh, anthem playing in the background okay, just while I'm doing just, this. Just give me a second. In the Kremlin conspiracy, the American president and his team are distracted by domestic political troubles and rising tensions in North Korea and Iran, and risk failing to grasp the magnitude of the threat posed by a nuclear-armed Russian leader who keeps taking military action against his neighbors without serious international consequences. Okay, first of all, that might be the longest sentence I've ever read. The Russian leader considers the American president a neophyte, a boorish fool and envisions himself as a 21st century czar who will restore the Russian motherland to her former glory. In the thriller, the developing international crisis is told through the eyes of two very different men with very different vantage points. A former U.S. Secret Service agent, Marcus Riker, who rises through the ranks to become part of the president's protective detail, and Oleg Kraskin, a senior aide and son-in-law to the Russian president, the stories of Riker and Kraskin begin on parallel tracks and then intersect in unexpected ways as Russia's expansionist policies bring the world to the brink of a nuclear war. How did I do? Come on. Hey, it was very good. I felt a little bit biased on the wrong side. <laughs> <laughs> you are a fantastic writer. I want to know your bi- I, I want to know the like how do you maintain your integrity checks when you're writing? You've got to do historical stuff, you've got to do religious stuff, you know, just political stuff. You got to you're swirling all that into one great big mixing bowl and it comes out another Joel Rosenberg hit. 
But have you ever caught yourself, I don't know, I know it's fiction, but going a little too far into fiction, knowing that people read your books with almost as much, I don't know, they, they kind of put the, so much weight on it, like the Left Behind books. Remember when those came out and, and everyone started saying, well, that's the only end times eschatological view there is. Well, no, there are many more. Joel, what, how do you keep yourself balanced? Well, I, I don't think that's, I don't think the, uh, the analogy is applicable in this case because how, you know, what, what is fiction? Fiction is taking you into a world that doesn't exist. What I'm trying to do is take you into a, a fictional world that could exist, but fortunately at the moment, maybe, doesn't, hopefully does not. Meaning that you start a good political thriller with the question, what if? In this case, what if a dictator rises to power in Russia? And an American president is distracted by other evil things happening in the world, North Korea, Iran, you just read, you just read it. Um, and he doesn't see, he's not paying attention to, he's not focused on the threat coming out of Russia that might try to hit uh, NATO interests, U.S. interests, when we least expect it. That, you know, and in this case, in the Kremlin conspiracy, uh, the idea is what if a Russian leader tried to go grab one or more of the Baltic states, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania. These are NATO allies, but they're lightly defended. They're right on the border of Russia. And if, you know, let's pretend in real life, set, set aside the novel for a moment, what if in real life Vladimir Putin decided in 96 hours to send 100,000 troops to grab Estonia, or, or all three of them? What would the United States do? What would NATO do? I mean, would we all actually go to full-scale conventional war with Russia to rescue one or more of those countries, knowing that this could rapidly escalate into a nuclear war? I mean, most experts I talk to say they don't think we, we actually would do it. We would actually go to war with Russia to rescue those countries. But if we didn't, Drew, uh, you can't have a NATO alliance if you don't defend Article 5, which is the mutual defense pact where if one country's attacked, every country comes to its defense. If Canada's attacked, we're all supposed to come to its, its rescue. If, it doesn't matter how big or small the country is. Everybody's supposed to come to their defense. But if you don't, that's it. There is no NATO alliance. You know. So that's the premise of the Kremlin conspiracy, which is it starts with a what-if scenario. Not that I'm predicting it. Yeah. Not that I'm saying this is the only way the world will unfold. In fact, I'm hoping it doesn't unfold this way. But I write it in a, in a very realistic way because I want people to feel like, you know, you know, heaven forbid that that ever actually happened. How can we prevent that from happening? That's the question that I want people to think about after they start cursing me at 530 in the morning because they're still up reading the book all night. Yeah, but uh, you know, hold on, hold on. That's because you, you've written this thing in short chapters and reading your book is like cracking a tin of Pringles. Mm. Yes, you're right. You can't stop. One, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. I, that's the hope. If you're cursing me on Twitter, on Facebook at five thirty in the morning, you got to get up for work in a half an hour. Then I'm doing my job <laughs> uh, because no matter what I want to raise in terms of political questions, uh, spiritual questions, none of it matters if I can't thrill you. If your heart isn't racing and you and you just tuck the book aside, you're that's ridiculous. That thick guy doesn't know what he's talking about. So. That's why I'm trying to make it realistic, but it's not real. And I'm not saying, you know, it's not like a, an es uh, theological or eschatological treatise to say 
this is how the world will play itself out. I right. you know, hope not. Right. Um, do you think, Joel, that we are still living in a world that is safe because of mutually assured destruction? I do not. I believe that Vladimir Putin actually has, has, has got an entirely different way of thinking about it. I think he would much more rapidly use tactical nuclear weapons uh, to uh, against even against American, Canadian, other NATO forces on the premise that we would not use them in retaliation because then then escalate into actual full-scale nuclear war. This is a new concept. This is something, this is mad in the sense of it being insane, but it, it, could, it could work. That is, if a Russian leader thinks, I could use nuclear weapons, but not a full, you know, ICBM with, you know, 30 nuclear warheads sh- shooting out in every direction. If I use a few nuclear warheads on the battlefield and then said, don't you dare retaliate or I'll go full scale, you know, the, the, it begs the question, would, would NATO leaders think, well, we better, we better de-escalate? And that puts Vladimir Putin or whoever did that in a, in a dominating position where a country is weak, really, overall, is Russia, economically, socially. I mean, the country's dying. The people aren't having enough children to replace themselves because, because they're, they don't have any hope. And, uh, you know, everybody, if you're in Moscow, you're wealthy, but if you're not, then you're, you're dirt poor. So all that to say that you've got a dictator really gambling with the security of his country, the security of our, uh, uh, of our countries, and, and we all think he's crazy enough that he might just actually use nuclear weapons. So the false calculus has changed. That's what I build into this premise of the Kremlin conspiracy. And, you know, just one thought about making these look as realistic as possible. I really wanted to sit down with a NATO leader, um, somebody who'd, who'd been in the room with other NATO leaders, you know, someone who'd been in the room with, with Putin, who, who knew him. Had, had, but who, who do I know that's a, a NATO leader? So it happened that uh, a couple of years ago, I got invited to have dinner with your former prime minister, Stephen Harper, uh, who has had a wonderful relationship with the United States and, and of course, a great relationship with Israel, which is important to me personally. And uh, so I went up, to, I flew up to Calgary and had a three-hour dinner with him, just the two of us. It was fascinating to just ask him a hundred questions on this topic and try to make the novel, uh, the Kremlin conspiracy, just as realistic as possible, as though you were in the room with NATO commanders. We are chatting with Joel Rosenberg. Uh, Joel, of course, well, everyone knows Joel Rosenberg's name. I mean, he's um, he's the guy that has affected more people when it comes to sleep apnea than, um, I don't know, than something else. <laughs> Such a great example, Drew. Perfect. Um, I, I know that uh, you're not going to hear from Putin. Well, you might, but I can't imagine, you know, 3 o'clock in the morning, your phone rings. Hello, Mr. Rosenberg. Mr. Putin is on the line. You know, it's not going to happen. But have you have you had anybody sort of, I don't know, connect uh, with you in some weird kind of way where you kind of made you wonder, like, who was this and why are they telling me this? Have you had any weird conversations or emails or wiretap phone calls? <laughs> and you're saying you're saying set aside this conversation? Yeah, aside from this conversation <laughs> right now, <laughs> yes, but, not, but not on the radio. No, that kind of weird. No, <laughs> um, I mean, no, I wouldn't say weird. Um, 
you know, I, world leaders have, have, have called, or at least their assistants call, and, and set up meetings. I mean, I'm, I'm amazed who reads these books. You know, I alluded to it a moment ago, but uh, three, uh, two former and now the current uh, directors of the CIA are, are fans of the novels. Uh, Mike Pompeo is one of them. Um, a Democrat, uh, Jim Woolsey, who was CIA director under uh, uh, Bill Clinton. Uh, Porter Goss, who was CIA director under George W. Bush. They're all fans of the novel. And, you know, if you want to write political thrillers that compete and hold the attention of people like them, you really have to be doing it at a, in a you know, a different level than, you know, I, I would say, uh, you know, sort of a run-of-the-mill, you know, novel or sometimes Christian fiction. Uh, I'm an evangelical, so I, I, you know, I'm happy about being a Christian, but sometimes Christian fiction can feel a little, um, I don't know, not not playing the game quite at at, at, the, at, at, at World Series level. At, right, uh, right. No, I know what you mean. Level. And yeah. you've got to play at that, game, that level to get and hold the attention of the Vice President of the United States, the King of Jordan, who's had three of these novels so far. Uh, we just sent him the Kremlin Conspiracy because he asked, but I don't know if he's read it yet. Right, right. But that's, to me, that, that helps me play in a different way. I have to think differently. And it's good, it's good for any writer to, to think, wow, can I grab them? Can I hold their attention? Um, but I haven't, no, I haven't had, like, you know, people say that they're accusing me of knowing things I shouldn't. Or No. Well, listen, this is a throwback to when Canada was playing Russia in the World Summit Series in 1972, and a friend of mine was on that team, and they used to get phone calls in the middle of the night. They were trying to to keep them up, to ke- to wake the players up in the middle of the night, to get them sleep-deprived so that they would lose. And so, I don't know, I'm getting a little little, little suspicious about those guys over there. It now, hasn't happened yet. But, no, uh, okay. People who are critics of Vladimir Putin, uh, you know, wind up with poison in their tea or, yes. you know, Look, I mean, this is kind of a serious problem. I mean, he, I think the world has has been so focused on radical Islam, and, and for good reason. Uh, we're focused on North Korea for good reason. But I think I think much of the West, and I would say the United States and Canada is, is right there. We we're not really so focused on Vladimir Putin, and he at times he seems helpful in certain areas of the world, and but I don't think we've really noticed that he's invaded the Republic of Georgia, and he still occupies illegally 20%, that he seized uh, southern Ukraine, and he annexed Crimea, that he seized eastern Ukraine a few years ago, and he still controls the Donbass region, that he sent Russian military forces into Syria, and he's helping Bashar al-Assad and the Iranians slaughter hundreds of thousands of people, even with chemical weapons, for their own purposes. I mean, that uh, journalists disappear or die if they're critical of Vladimir Putin, that critics and opponents and uh, political opposition leaders, they die or they disappear or are driven into exile. I mean, this guy is emerging, not just as a czar, definitely he is. He, he sees himself as a, as, as a monarch who, who owns Russia. But he's, the best way to understand Vladimir Putin is to read the Godfather novel or watch the movies. Except that he's not, you know, Vladimir Putin is not Sonny Corleone. He's not a rash, hot-headed, impulsive, you know, mafia thug. He's Michael Corleone. He's a cold-blooded killer. And, and, and he is probing for Western weaknesses, and he keeps finding weaknesses. And we've got to show some steel. Um, we're all stronger 
as an alliance than, than Russia, but we act weaker. We're divided. We've got we've lost our moral compass, and he's he's taking advantage, and we've got to turn this thing around. Uh, Okay, just before we say goodbye to you here, and, and by the way, Joel Rosenberg on the line with us. His website is joelrosenberg.com, joelrosenberg.com. His latest book, The Kremlin Conspiracy, is out there. Get it, if you're not looking to sleep. Um, you used the phrase Christian fiction, and that made me think of Donald Trump. Um, I, you know, I, don't, I, I get the feeling from things that you've said, things that you've written... You know, even one of the characters in your book, you use the phrase buffoon, or, or sorry, a neophyte, a boorish fool, right? The American president. And there, I think you had a blog post where you said, you know, here's the top 32 reasons why it's not a good thing for Trump to be president. So, but 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 you're also an evangelical Christian. And, uh, and I know a whole bunch of you folks down there in the United States of America that are darn tootin' happy that Mr. Trump is your president. Are you happy that Mr. Trump is your president? No, actually, I don't even care about that. What I care about is, um, as far as sales go, Joel, your your primary readership, I'm sure, would be the evangelical uh, community. And so, I wonder if you, by by you sort of coming out in this book and basically, and in your in your blog post saying, eh, "I'm not a big fan of Trump," has that affected sales? <laughs> well, it, it hasn't, but. Um, I, I, let me just clarify. I was a never Trumper until Thursday before the election. I mean, it, it, to be all completely honest, I was very uncomfortable with what President, uh, what candidate Trump was saying, what he's doing, his history, his policies. Uh, but in the end, I was also I was more uncomfortable with Hillary Clinton. So I was very open about that. Uh, I wrote a blog explaining why I changed my mind and decided with reservations. Uh, and reluctantly, but I decided to, to vote for him as opposed to Hillary. Mm-hmm. Um, and that went viral. Uh, 1.2 million people read it in four days. I'd never seen anything wow. like that. Uh, and it's because no prominent Never Trumper had, was making a change that late in the game, people decided this is interesting. He's not saying he loves Trump, and he's not even sure that he believes everything Trump's going to say, but compared to her, she had to be stopped. Now, I will tell you very concisely, um, he has done a lot better in certain areas than I thought he would or feared he would. But he remains to be Donald Trump. He he does a number of things that concern me. Look, he's tougher on, you know, Rocket Man in North Korea. He's tougher on his own Attorney General, uh, Jeff Sessions, than he is on Vladimir Putin. He's almost radio silent on Vladimir Putin. This is a problem. And yet, in other ways, President Trump is increasing U.S. defense spending. Good. He's pressing NATO to spend more money on defense, and they are. Good. He's uh, defensive weapons to Ukraine so they can defend themselves against Russia. He's putting sanctions on Putin. There are, and he's putting people like John Bolton, Mike Pompeo, Jim Mattis, Mitch Haley, uh, and, of course, Vice President Pence in place. These are not people soft on Russia. So... I'm saying some things he's doing really well, better than I thought. Yeah. Some things not so well. And I think evangelicals, like all Americans, like anybody, ought to be honest about both. Let's not think that he can't do anything right, but let's not give him a pass if he's doing something wrong or mistaken. And, of course, the whole issue with the women, I'm, I'm going to hold judgment. I don't want to judge him. I don't know the answers yet. But if, mm-hmm. this is, if anything seems really true, then it's bad. 
let's say it's bad. Let, you know, we can't hold our tongue just to be political sycophants. We want our country to get on the right track. We didn't have a lot of great options. <laughs> We've got to help this guy do the best he can, but not give him a pass when he does things that are not good. You are such a great communicator. Joel Rosenberg, thank you for that time. I, it's just, you know, you've been on a couple times in the past, and I look forward to you coming back as a guest again, should you desire such a thing. I don't know why you would. I'm happy to. No, I, <laughs> I, I enjoy the conversation. Thank you. No, thank you, Joel. You take care. Enjoy your weekend. Thank you. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Joel Rosenberg. Joel Rosenberg.com. Joel-